0: Good morning. Good morning. They told me at the nine that I need to be a little bit more enthusiastic, so we're going to try that. My name is Tony, and I want to welcome you to our uh, Sunday gathering, and I am privileged and excited to be here. If you don't know uh, me, you don't have a reason to, but just let me just share with you uh, a little bit about myself um, we are currently planting a Sojourn Spring Branch. For the past two years, we've been there, and we are um, just um, uh, moved into a new facility, into a A lease that we just signed for a few years, so we want to thank you, our Sojourn Houston family, for your support, your prayers for us in that. If you know anyone um, in your family, in your, you know, maybe your job, or maybe someone that lives there in Spring Branch and is looking for a Christian community, um, we are there, um, uh, and we are excited to welcome them in. A little bit of personal news, Um, been married for seven years, but three and a half months ago. We welcomed in um, twins. So we got a boy and a girl. Yeah. Thank you. So life, life has been a blur um, for the past three and a half months. Um, I mean, after, you know, binge watching everything you wanted to watch for seven years, traveling wherever you wanted to go if you could, and now you're just, you know, <laughs> being hailed to uh, them and every cry, every, you know, little thing, they're sick, they're tired, whatever, right? So um, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a joyful burden, all right? <laughs> it's a joyful burden, um, but we are, we are excited about the future. Um, I'm a little sick, so maybe you hear sickness through the mic, but uh, can we pray together um, for the Lord to give us strength and to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, we thank you because you are good to us. We are here gathered in your name, and we ask that you would open our eyes. We ask that you would open our ears We ask that as we open up the Scriptures, our hearts would be open to receiving your word, your truth. We need you this morning. Maybe we're here alone, or maybe we've come with our family, or maybe we come with some friends, and we ask that you would speak to us, that your word would be explained so that the Spirit would be able to apply it this coming week and this coming year. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, We're currently, like she said, working our way through the Gospel of Luke, which tells us that God's salvation, it's come. It has come through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus. And we've said that our salvation in Jesus is not an abstract concept. It's not something that you get to experience in the future. It's something that our eyes can see today. We can see it this morning. The Gospel of Luke shows us that this salvation that Jesus gives us, we can see it. Jesus shows us the way that we can see, and we've also said that the Christian gospel is, is, is past, it's present, it's future, it changes the way that we live, it revitalizes society, and it calls everyone to receive it and to extend grace to others. The gospel of Luke, where we're going to be in the next few months, tells a, a salvation story that inspires a new way to live in this world. Now, I I don't know if you remember, but it was Saturday afternoon two years ago. Um, where we experienced uh, Harvey, right? We call him by first name. Uh, When Harvey came to town, we were scurrying from here uh, to there. I got a call from my sister who was on the other side of town. I don't know why, but she was on the other side of town with my nephew and my three nieces and her husband, and she was looking for a way to get back to Spring Branch, freeways were being closed. You couldn't drive through neighborhoods. It was a total mess. They made a a run through Highway 6. They got on I-10 somehow, and they crossed the beltway into the land of Spring Branch, and they got home safe. But, But everyone, if you remember, was scurrying around, right, driving, trying to get to the place where they would be, because this may just last a day. It may last a week. We didn't know. Now, the following weeks were horrifying as we saw the devastation that all this water that poured down in our city caused. We were confused. We were in disorder all over our city. And I remember going through the Beltway and just seeing the Beltway submerged in water. It was just like this post-apocalyptic, you know, stuff they just see in the movies. It was a mess. And in our sermon text, Luke writes about a mess that has God's people feeling the emotions that we felt during the hurricane. The Roman Empire was in chaos, and God's people were being shaken up. And it is in this context that Luke is writing history and God's Word at the same time. Look at verse 1 in the text. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of those, you know, you, uh, you get it, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. We can say Abilene, it's all right, it's <laughs> Texan. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke is not only giving us the accuracy of dates and events for the skeptic in the room to go and check it out. That's your ancient Google right there. He's he's mapping it out for you in the 15th year of this reign. I'm going to give you some names so that you know that this is true and it's historical data. But he was not only doing that. He was also going to display the state of emergency that this story happens in. Five officials working for the Roman government, two religious Jewish leaders, and God's people found themselves in the oppression and fear that the Roman kingdom was exerting through these names of people, these rulers. But something different was breaking into the scene. There was an audible voice that was breaking in and bringing in another kingdom. And, and likewise, likewise in our world, things seem to be in a chaos, right? I mean, right now we're experiencing a government shutdown, upheaval in government, upheaval in the institutions of education, the immigrant crisis, the prison system, or, or maybe you're just like, I'm not thinking about those things because my marriage, the future with these kids that we have. I have heart issues that I just can't get over. And maybe the drama and the negativity of 2018 is creeping into this year already, and it's been only the first week. And in all of this chaos, I I want to be a servant, and I want to point us to another kingdom that is breaking in and deserves our attention. In the struggles within your heart, there is a kingdom that is prompting us to ask a question that we're going to see that the the text asks three times. We're going to see that. In the self-realization that this world forces us to think that we can achieve without side effects, there is a better way that I hope that we could consider. So let's explore it today. In all of the upheaval and chaos of John's day, as Luke records it, in the mention of Roman officials and religious Jewish leaders, there is something in the text that we will easily miss if we don't pay attention to it. Look at verse 1. It mentions uh, uh, Tiberius Caesar, Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Annas, Caiaphas. And in the middle of this, there's a comma in verse 2, and it says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's another sermon for another day. But as John's gospel, uh, another gospel writer, he tells us that this word of God... Is Jesus. Luke is telling us, hey, listen, if, if you missed it, if you missed chapter 1, if you missed chapter 2, if you missed that the Word of God has come in baby form, it has come in the likeness of men, let me just remind you in chapter 3, there is a literal, audible Word of God that's coming to John in the middle of all this mess. And this is significant, so we should not overlook it. For the, for the past 400 years, right, at that time, God has been silent. This intertestamental period, right? Old Testament, between the story of Jesus on this earth has been void of God's voice. Until now. Until now, there is a prophet in the wilderness that is being raised, and not only does it come, this Word of God, in audible form, but it comes in human form. Jesus, God's Word, is born. And God's Word has come to the prophet John. Why? Why? Look at verse 6. So that all flesh, someone say all flesh, shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Like I said in the beginning, Luke shows us a salvation that we can see with our own eyes. And the salvation was seen by an old man in chapter 2. Like in chapter two, when Jesus was a baby and he was going to, they were bringing him to the temple. There's an old man named Simeon, and as he presents this child Jesus to God, he takes him up in his arms and he blesses God and says, "Lord, now you are letting me depart in peace, according to your word. Watch this. For my eyes have seen your salvation." that you have prepared in the presence of what? All peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles who would have thunk it, and for glory to your people of Israel. This word of salvation, this Jesus is for everyone. It's for all peoples to see. And so much is it for everyone that Luke not only starts the first chapters of his book with that, but he he also finishes in his second book, the book of Acts, with this concept. Chapter 28 of Acts, verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, all peoples. They will listen. In other words, the Word of God has come to forgive Sins. Jesus, God's Word, has come to forgive. Jesus, the breathing Word of God, has come to forgive sins. Luke chapter 3, verse 3, it says that John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as Bible scholar N.T. Wright writes... Christian living is far more than simply repentance, but it's not less. And at the time, this this baptism, right, that John was performing in the Jordan River reminded the Jewish crowds that they had forsaken and abandoned and they had left the covenant that they had made with God. The baptism of repentance was a picture of them coming to God as if it was the first time that they'd ever been approached by God. And this is repentance, y'all. When we come to God because He's come to us first, when, when we confess a sin, when we grieve our sin, when we receive God's forgiveness, this contrite, honest, humble confession is repentance. The Bible says that if if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe you're asking yourself, but what, Tony, what do I need to repent of? Where, where, where is it that I need forgiveness of sins? Because, I mean, up till now, six days from now, I mean, every, every, every task has been checked in my bullet journal or whatever journal you're doing this year. You're a decent husband. You're a caring mom. You're, you know, you got the bottles all washed up and you got, you know, everything good. You're a hardworking student. So what is it that I, I need to repent of? I'm all right. Look at verse 4 and 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is what we repent of. We repent of our crooked and rough hearts. We repent of our crooked and rough hearts. Luke hears hears what John says as he stretches back to the Old Testament and reads Isaiah's passage. John says, I am that voice crying in the wilderness. He finds us calling there. And he interprets Isaiah's words and says, there's there's valleys that are going to be filled. There's mountains that are going to be made low. There are crooked places that will become straight. There are rough places that will be level. In, in, In other words, church, the grace of Christ, this forgiveness will gush into the valleys. Picture it with me. The arrogant and the proud, the mountains and the hills will become low. They will be humble. Those who are not in the straight path will be made straight when Christ comes. And, and, and here is where we may find ourselves today. We may be that valley that needs the rains of grace to soak us this morning. Or we may be that mountain that needs a good humbling from the Lord. Or we may be that crooked in need of a change. And, and we this morning, church, are called to repent of our crooked and rough hearts. Yeah, I know, it's the first Sunday of the year. It's all right, though. <laughs> we got some repenting to do because of our crooked and rough hearts. Why? Why is this so necessary? Why? Because of verse 6. So that all flesh would see the salvation of God. We want to see God's salvation. That's why. I want to experience it. I want to to be in it. Look at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, I mean, imagine that, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, weave Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Those coming to get baptized were at the shore, feet were getting wet, and they thought themselves to be accepted because they were sons of Abraham. And John was like, calling them names, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Change your ways. Bear fruits. Don't think that just because you're in Abraham's lineage or you got some fancy last name that, you know, they did great things while they were alive, that you got it made. God is able to raise a people from stones. What John was doing here, he was including everybody. That's what he was doing. Not only the Jewish people, but also the Gentiles. See, church, when Jesus comes, things change. When Jesus comes, things change. The gospel of Jesus Christ crosses dividing lines that society, that our world, that even ourselves have drawn. When Jesus comes, he includes everybody, all flesh. When Jesus comes, he doesn't make distinctions in social class, ethnicities, socioeconomic levels. He says, all of y'all, all (laughs) all of y'all, come over. I'm here for you. He does not make any distinctions yeah 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 yes you you with the failures in marriage and parenting yeah yes you the one who looks good but have so much baggage that you've mastered it how to hide it really good yes you who are smart intelligent but your emotions are so messed up you who Smile throughout the day and feel so alone at night. When Jesus comes, He comes for you. When when Jesus comes, He comes for all. And that all has you in uh, there when you trust, when you repent, when you bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You're there. I'm there with you. So, so, so because when Jesus comes, things change. How, how then is it, Tony, that, that we should live? How, how is it that I should live? And, 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 and that is the question that even the crowds were asking John. Look at verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And I want to camp out in, in this question here because this is an important question that Luke picks up on a lot. I mean, he mentions it three times in this passage. He hears it here in the Jordan River, but then a few chapters in Luke 10, there's a rich lawyer that comes up to Jesus, and, and, and the rich lawyer says, what shall I do to inherit in eternal life? He hears it in the next book at Pentecost when Peter is preaching in chapter 2 and the men of Israel being, being just hit in the heart. They say, brothers, what shall we do? He hears it again in Paul's testimony when Paul is giving his story of how Jesus met him. And I fell to the ground, Paul says, and, and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Verse 10 says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And my hope, my hope this morning is that you are asking the same question. My hope this morning is that you're asking the question, what shall I do? God's come to forgive sins, what shall I do? And I hope that in our singing and in our praying, I hope that in our humble confession, and I hope that in receiving the words of assurance, I hope that in God's Word being audible, heard, and I hope that God's Word being being tangibly tasted in communion, I hope that in all of that we're with that crowd in the Jordan River, Asking, what then shall we do? And you want to know something? You're there right now. You're asking this important question as you are doing this, because this is the most countercultural thing to do on a a great, nice Sunday morning. (laughs) Who is getting up, getting dressed? Well, first of all, taking a shower, bath first, getting dressed, coming to the gathering with other people. Who's doing that on a Sunday morning? And you're doing this today. You're asking the question with your presence, what should I do? And at the end of this gathering, there's going to be a benediction, a word of blessing, giving so that we can go and do what God wants us to do. These are great practices that we practice corporately on Sundays. And it is our responsibility, church, not to allow them to become routine, but to come here with expectation. What is it that God wants me to do? I want to seek Him. I want to open the Word of God. I want Him to speak to me. I want to find meaning in the words that we sing and pray. So how does John answer the crowds? What did John tell them to do? Verse 11, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Ta- tax collectors, they came to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers came and also asked him, and we, what, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. See, Luke, Luke was seen everyone scurrying like that Saturday or when tragedy hits from here to there. The rich were getting richer. The tax collectors were asking, what shall we do? They had been stealing from their neighbors. The soldiers were asking, what shall we do? They were threatening in line on their neighbors for monetary gain. Everybody was a mess here the rich who lived well in this Roman Empire, those who had two tunics and plenty of food, the government workers and soldiers who worked for the Roman kingdom at that time, those who were taking advantage of the oppressed people. These people were being called to trust in another kingdom that's different. There was another rule and reign that was breaking in. What did Jotun tell them to do? He told them to live under Jesus' rule and and reign. Touch your neighbor and tell him, live under Jesus' rule and reign. Uh, He's asleep, so turn to your other neighbor and tell him, live under Jesus' rule and reign. The kingdoms of this world were no match for the kingdom of God. And according to Luke, this kingdom was breaking in through the love of neighbor. You got two tunics? Give one away. You got extra food? Give it away. Don't steal from each other. Don't lie to one another. The social implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ are clear. No one can dispute that. There's love of neighbor happening. The way to live is to live in repentance, bearing the fruit of it, and loving others. The way to live is to live in the reign and rule of a different kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, and not in the kingdom of this world. And as we can see, the kingdom of God is that upside down kingdom. Like that prayer in the Valley of Vision teaches us to pray. He says, Let me learn that the way down is the way up. Let me learn that to be low is to be high. Let me learn that, oh Lord, the broken heart is the healed heart. Let me learn that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. Let me learn that the repenting soul is the victorious soul. Let me learn that to have nothing is to possess all. Let me learn that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive. The new kingdom that was breaking in was waving the banner of a new identity. The new kingdom was was different. It was full of repenting people in the way of Jesus. Look at verse 15. The people, they were in expectation. I love it. As people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John hey, is this the Christ? John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, see, it was in the Jordan River that turned into baptismal waters that a powerful reminder of renewal came about. Now, How? N.T. Wright writes this. Watch this. Go back to the Old Testament. When the children of Israel had come out of slavery in Egypt, do yeah, you remember that? They, they were brought through the Red Sea, they were brought through the Sinai wilderness, and then through the Jordan where John is standing now to the promised land. And now John and his hearers were in slavery again, this time to Rome. And he wanted, they wanted a new exodus to bring them to freedom. They're here again. Centuries ago, they were brought through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and to the Jordan River. And now, they're here again, wanting salvation, redemption. And what does John do? What does John do to resolve the most important question that we're asking today? What is the answer to the question, what shall we then do? He he calls them to repent. He calls them to Jesus. He calls them to the baptismal waters. He calls them to their identity, which is one of being a repentant people in the way of Jesus. I baptize you with water but he who is mightier than I is coming. I'm not it. I'm pointing him to you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So so, so family, church, this morning we have an opportunity to come to the waters of repentance and forgiveness. The Word of God has come. That's established. Chapter 1, chapter 2, Now, chapter three, in the middle of all this chaos, comma, the word of God has come. Breaking in to forgive the sins of the people. My sins, your sins, our sins. To to straighten our ways, to to get us on a right path, to, to level out our rough hearts. And I and I hope that when we see the mess of the kingdom that we live in daily. And, and, and when we see God's salvation in Jesus, we're, we're drawn to ask the question, what, what are we supposed to do? Is this it? What are we supposed to do? There is another kingdom led by Jesus, the true king that we can live in. So, the call this morning is first Sunday of the year, to repent, to trust, to live under His reign, under His rule, what a better way to start the year? He says, My emotions are doing it right now. My, my friends are doing it right now. No, no, what about living under Jesus' rule and reign? There is forgiveness there, there is grace there, there is freedom there. His yoke is easy, His burden is light. And there's others in the way too. We can bear each other's burdens. The kingdom of God, church, is full of repentant people walking in the way of Jesus, our King. So, so, so this, this year in your parishes, join one another and repent together. Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Join one another and live into that repentance together. <coughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We are so humbled to hold in our hands your word and to explore your truth. We thank you that we have uh, realized that the word of God has come to forgive us, to forgive us of our sins. We thank you for that. And we ask, what shall we do Lord, help us. Help us this year bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If we have some to give away, help us give it away. Help us have nothing so that we can have everything that you have for us this year. Oh, let us learn that that prayer, that the way up is down, that to give is to receive. Help us be continually repenting of our sins. And it's probably harder for some of the husbands here to repent to their spouses. But I ask, Lord, for your grace. And maybe it is vice versa, the same way, difficult, just to have a conversation. Lord, give us grace to continue to live in repentance towards our spouses, towards our friends, towards our children, towards our parents, towards our coworkers, our bosses. Lord, to live in repentance to you, our King, and to continue walking in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.